0: Good morning. A blessed Easter to you. It's so wonderful to see you all here. I never would have imagined that I would walk into the room on Easter Sunday, look out and see this and say, my, oh my, look at this packed house. And that's exactly how it feels. It's amazing what we can get used to. (laughs) What a joy it is to look out and see you all this morning. Happy Easter. The scripture for this morning comes from the gospel according to Mark, beginning at the first verse of the sixteenth chapter. Hear the Word of God. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, "Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb?" But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O oh God, come among us in power and might. We praise you for coming among us in Jesus and for the new life we find in him. Silence in us any voice but yours as we consider the news of his resurrection May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As we hear the Easter story today, I want you to take a moment to think about other stories you know. Other great stories, think about truly great stories you have heard. A Tale of Two Cities, E.T., Frankenstein, Spongebob Squarepants. It doesn't really matter if the story is in a book or on TV or in the movies, if it's an ancient story or one from recent days. All great stories share some key characteristics, and I want you to think about the way great stories are told. One of those key characteristics is an ending that leaves you wanting to hear more. In any great story, you get to know the characters and you become invested in who they are. At the end, you don't want it to end. You wanna know more about what happened to the characters next. How did they grow up? How did they grow old? Did they live happily ever after? What was the next challenge they faced? Good endings leave us pondering, wondering, imagining about these things. Bad endings tell us too many of the answers and stifle our imagination. So, a good author is an author who knows when to quit. In the Bible, there are four tellings of the story of the resurrection of Jesus. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one story for each of the Gospels. The shortest version is also the oldest one we have. It was written down about a generation after Jesus' life, around 55 A.D., and it appears in the Gospel of Mark. It's the one we read this morning. And if you go home and open your own Bible to read it, you will find that Mark's resurrection story is about 20 verses long. But, in all of the oldest ancient manuscripts we have found, this story does not last 20 verses. It stops at verse 8. The story ends with the verse where I ended the reading this morning. The women went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Mark leaves out all of the post resurrection stories that some of you may remember. In Mark's telling, there is no story about Mary mistaking Jesus for the gardener outside the tomb. There is no doubting Thomas placing his hands into Jesus' side. There is no appearance of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. There is no Jesus cooking fish by the sea and asking Peter to feed his sheep. None of these things happen in the Gospel of Mark. In Mark, the women fled in terror and amazement and told no one, for they were afraid. What kind of an ending is that it's so abrupt that biblical historians say that this is what must have happened at some point an early Bible copyist came along and added verses 9 through 20 to the oldest manuscripts added it so that readers could get some kind of a satisfying answer to what happened after Jesus was raised In those 12 verses, we get an abridged version of how Jesus appeared to the women and to the disciples. These additions in Mark are sparse, but at least, that Bible copyist must have thought, at least now the story doesn't end in fear. There is a strong view in the scholarly community that the original author, Mark, stopped at verse 8. And he did this on purpose. He knew what he was doing. I like that interpretation. Just like any truly great storyteller, Mark knew when to quit. He wanted us to imagine for ourselves what happens on the other side of the resurrection. He wanted us to be inspired by the thought that it is our task to discover what happened And to do the work of keeping the story alive. If there was ever a year to talk about keeping things alive, if there's ever a year to talk about death and resurrection, well, this is the one, isn't it? David Gerson wrote this week in the Washington Post that this past year has been perfect for Good Friday. Good Friday is a story of disillusionment. Just about everyone in the story of Good Friday ends up looking bad. Government is weak and dysfunctional. Pontius Pilate tries to pass the buck because no one can decide what to do about Jesus. The religious authorities look bad. They want to get rid of Jesus, but they want the government to do their dirty work for them. The crowd looks bad. They choose a common criminal and murderer over the Savior of the world. Even Jesus' friends look bad. Judas betrays Jesus, and Peter denies him, and the rest of the disciples, well, they just kind of disappear. There are lots of reasons to be hopeless and discouraged on Good Friday. That's just the kind of story it is. All of us can tell stories from the past year about feeling discouraged or hopeless. It has been quite a marathon. Do you remember Good Friday a year ago? We had just begun to worship remotely. We would just begun to do everything remotely. And most of us can probably remember thinking bravely to ourselves, I can take this for a month. Maybe two. How naive we were. This past year may have been the perfect year for Good Friday, but this is also a great year for Easter. It's a great year for resurrection. Now, of course, there are still lots of reasons to be cautious and play it safe. There's a reason we're worshiping the way that we are. We are not yet out of the woods with covid But a week ago, NPR ran a story about leading epidemiologists from around the country saying for the first time uh, time that we may just be nearing the end of the pandemic, and if the liberals at NPR are saying we're close to the end, well, that's a first. (laughs) We are so hungry, so hungry for news of resurrection, for rebirth. For new life. When can I hug my grandchildren? When can I share a meal with a friend? When will church get back to normal? What kind of vaccine did you get? These are the big questions of the day. We are so hungry for resurrection. These signs of new life This is what resurrection really is. This is what resurrection means. A chance to experience a new kind of life. Tradition has taught many of us to think quite narrowly about resurrection. It's this one thing that happens this one time to this one guy who got out of one tomb. And we have to think about whether or not we believe it. But that's not really the point. Resurrection is a chance for all of us to imagine a different kind of life. Jesus lived a different kind of life, a resurrection life. He'd been living it all along. Think about the kind of things that Jesus did. He found his disciples living lives that they didn't want to live, collecting taxes, struggling to catch fish. He said, come with me and imagine a different kind of life. Let me teach you how to fish for people. Jesus met people who were stuck, consumed by their hatred and their resentment of other people. He said to them things like, let me show you another way. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Let anyone who is without sin cast the first stone. Don't let resentment dominate your life. Jesus spent time with people who were suffering, people who most other folks ignored. And then he walked up onto a mountaintop before everybody who would listen, and he said to the enormous crowds, blessed are the poor in spirit, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. One time Jesus was asked, who is my neighbor? And so he told a story about a good Samaritan who helped a man who was lying in a ditch. The Samaritan, in today's language, The Samaritan is the person on the other side of the aisle. Jesus sees the value, the neighborliness in the liberal or the conservative who who you're inclined to think is a fool. Jesus was living a different kind of life all along. He saw life differently. He saw life differently because Jesus was living a resurrection life. If we've been paying attention to Jesus all along, to his vision of a different kind of life, the resurrection on Easter morning suddenly isn't so much of a surprise. On Good Friday, Jesus is laid in a tomb. Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, they return on the first day of the week. They come to anoint him with burial spices according to their religious practice. They fully expect to find him in the tomb. He is not there. The life that he has in mind is different for himself and for them. So when they arrive... They find something different than what they expect. Of course, the women are shocked. The story says, terror and amazement seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. That is where Mark's telling of the story comes to an end. Because... This is Mark's way of inviting us to imagine what happens on the other side of resurrection, to invite us to think about it. It's an invitation for us to dream. It deserves to be said that when Mark ends the story this way, he does not seem to be speaking literally. The women were afraid, so they told no one. Well, of course they told somebody, for otherwise, how would we have learned about it? How would Mark himself know? How would the resurrection story ever have been told? How would Christianity ever have become a thing? So, while it may be cause for some head-scratching that terror seized the women and that they were afraid on Easter morning... It seems to be the case that their amazement carried the day. At some point, they started to share the story of what they had seen. The other thing that deserves comment is what the women are told when they arrive at the tomb. Mark says there is a young man in a white robe seated by the tomb, tradition calls him an angel. He is the one who speaks to the women. He tells them, you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He is not here. He has been raised. But go, he says. Go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. You will see him in Galilee, the young man says. That phrase is important because of what it has meant throughout Mark's telling of the story of Jesus' life. Galilee, for Mark, is where ordinary life takes place. It is where Jesus' life and work happened. It is where he found and called all of the disciples in the first place while they were there living their regular lives. It is where he invited them into a new way of life. So, when the women are told to look for the risen Jesus in Galilee, that's not just an invitation to them, it's an invitation to all of us. Anyone who is hearing the story. Jesus is not just present in a Bible story, wandering around outside of the tomb, he's out there. He's out there in the world. He is once again out doing the work he's been doing all along. He's back to living a resurrection life, a life of possibility, a life of promise, and he's inviting other people to live that life too. So you yourself may not have been present with the women at the tomb that first either Easter morning, but that does not matter. They did not see him there. Neither will you. As they did, you'll see him in Galilee, Mark says. The risen Christ is out there in everyday life. He's at the grocery store and on the driving range and helping kids and parents and teachers with online school and trying to get back. He's among those who suffer He's on the sidewalk and on the border. He's in an unemployment line and he's struggling to make rent. Jesus is in the lives of those who help others. He's in the ICU helping COVID patients and he's administering tests and vaccines. He's driving the school bus and sweeping the floor and fighting the fire and driving the ambulance. Jesus is everywhere with servants and with victims alike. Alike, he is serving and protecting, and he is serving hard time. Jesus is out there in the world. It's what he came for in the first place, in that manger in Bethlehem. God came into the world so that we would know that God cares about the everyday lives that we live. And so we are called to look for him in Galilee in the everyday and to see his face when we look into the eyes of others. We are called to love one another just as he has loved us. This is the miracle of resurrection not that it happened once in a tomb to Jesus Christ, but that it might begin today for you. A different way of thinking about your life, freedom, a chance to be relieved, or released from whatever has you trapped or stuck or feeling as if you have been forgotten. A chance to come to what might seem like the abrupt end of the story and to imagine what might happen next. To tell the story yourself. And in doing so, to keep it alive. Christ is risen, He is risen indeed. Amen.